January the 28th of 1766, it was announced that William Romaine would become the new pastor of Blackfriars Church in London. And Romaine wrote to his sister that day saying, This is to me an amazing event, that such a one should be made a pastor, one that is plagued to death with his own heart, to make him a watchman over others. What is the Lord doing? With the utmost abhorrence of myself and of my being unfit to be minister of a great parish in the midst of this great city, I've been forced to leave it to the Lord. I beg you this notice to pray to your master and my master to fit me for this new work. Beg of him to help me exalt him and to keep me down. And he wrote to another friend on that occasion and said, My head hangs down upon the occasion Through the awful apprehensions which I ever had of the care of souls, I am frightened to think of watching over two or three thousand when it is work enough to watch over one. The plague of my own heart almost wearies me to death. What can I do with such a vast number? In Romaine's assessment, the pastoral responsibility was quite serious, and he was right. It is a serious thing to care for the church of God and to keep watch over souls as one who will give an account to the Lord. And so as we come this evening to the ordination of our brother Jamie, I would like to draw your attention to the words of the Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 16. That will be our, our text for this evening, 1 Timothy four sixteen. Though to set the, the context of what Paul is saying here, we'll begin reading chapter 4, verse 12, and then read down through the end of the chapter. So 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 12. Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he says, Let no one look down on your youthfulness, but rather in speech, conduct, love, faith, purity, show yourself an example of those who believe. Until I come, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and teaching. Do not neglect the spiritual gift within you, which was bestowed on you, through prophetic utterance, with the laying on of hands by the presbytery. Take pains with these things. Be absorbed in them, so that your progress will be evident to all. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. Now, in these verses, Paul has instructed Timothy in regard to his personal piety, we could say, and in regard to his public ministry. And so you can see the emphasis on personal piety and practical godliness there in verse 12 with the admonition that he show himself an example to the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. And you see the example, or excuse me, the emphasis on his public ministry there in verses 13 and 14. Verse 13, there's this exhortation to him that he is to give attention to the reading, to the exhortation, and to the teaching. He's to be reading publicly the scriptures, he's to be teaching, he's to be exhorting in accordance with the word of God. And then verse 14, there's this exhortation not to neglect his ministerial gift. And so in these verses, we have these two aspects functioning together, his personal piety and his public ministry. And then In particular, our text in verse 16, the two are combined. Pay close attention to yourself, it's personal piety, and to your teaching, which is 
public ministry. Paul says, persevere in these things, for as you do this, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And so as we consider this verse tonight, we'll consider it under under three main headings. First, watch your life. Second, watch your teaching. And number three, remember the end goal. Watch your life, watch your teaching, remember the end goal. And so, first of all, watch your life. Now, there are some jobs or tasks or positions in the world where all that one has to do in order to do the job is just to be able to check off the boxes of the job description. Can you do this? Can you do that? Are you proficient at these particular tasks for this particular job? If so, the job is yours. Now, obviously, the company might have some character expectations, no stealing from the company, no harassment on the job, those kinds of things. But on the whole, they don't care what you do when you're off the clock, whether you're drunk or sober, moral or immoral. They don't really care as long as you show up and do the job. I've worked jobs like that before. When you're on your own time, whatever. The calling to serve as an elder or an overseer in the church of God is decidedly different than that. In the calling to serve as an elder, one's public ministry is intimately tied up with the personal life. Ministerial ability is intimately connected with the Christian character of the man. In other words, the two go hand in hand together. So, Brother Jamie, as you were ordained this evening, let me exhort you to watch your life. You're familiar with that list of requirements for overseers in 1 Timothy chapter 3, that an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, temperate, prudent, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not addicted to wine or pugnacious, but gentle, peaceable, free from the love of money. He must be one who manages his own household well, keeping his children under control with all dignity. But if a man does not know how to manage his own household, how will he take care of the church of God? And not a new convert, so that he will not become conceited and fall into the condemnation incurred by the devil. And he must have a good reputation with those outside the church so that he will not fall into reputation and the snare of the devil. Now those verses there in 1 Timothy 3 summarize what our lives as elders or overseers ought to to look like. Our personal piety. That would be a sermon in itself to consider all of those attributes in great detail in as much as those verses help us to understand what our lives must be and therefore inform us as to how we ought to watch our lives. But allow me to point out a few things from 1 Timothy 3, from that list there in 1 Timothy 3 that correspond with this issue of watching your life. Paul says that an overseer must be blameless. This is to say that an overseer must live in such a way that no one can reasonably charge him with any great and blatant inconsistency as to his Christian walk. This first requirement of blamelessness that Paul gives there at the top of that list in 1 Timothy 3 is basically a kind of catch-all category that includes everything else that follows in that list as well as anything not specifically mentioned in the list. It's not a call for perfection because overseers are still sinners, but it is a call for consistent Christian character. Augustine expressed it this way. He said, The Apostle Paul says not if anyone is without sin. For, had he said so, everyone would be rejected as unfit, and none would be ordained. And so it's not if anyone is without sin, but that he must be blameless. 
And after the mention of that general catch-all category that an overseer must be above reproach, then come some of the specifics. And most of the specifics in that list in 1 Timothy 3 are in regard to maturity and discipline that are required of overseers. So the requirements to be hospitable, the requirement to be able to teach, speak to the man's ability and willingness to, to minister to others. We're told that he must be the husband of one wife. This is a statement of faithfulness in the realm of sexuality. The overseer must also be temperate, which is to say he must be level-headed, sober-minded, which is to say, in a word, self-controlled. And these characteristics of temperateness and sober-mindedness, self-control, these point to the fact that overseers in the church must be steady, thoughtful, and sound in judgment. We need sound judgment in any leadership position, and especially in leading the church. One commentator put it this way. He said, a leader in the church who lacks these qualities would be dangerous. Even a member who lacks them would be a liability. We need pastors who will conduct their own persons and also their congregations with a sane, safe, steady mind in all matters of life and faith. And that observation is correct. An overseer must be someone who has a steady hand on his own life and in the leadership of the church and in the teaching of the word. Part of the job as a pastor, as defined in Ephesians 4, is to equip the saints for the work of service. And the end result is that church members are no longer to be children, tossed about here and there by uh, every wind of doctrine and by the, the trickery of men and craftiness and deceitful scheming. And if the overseer himself is not temperate and sober-minded, but is always tossing about himself, what will be the result in the life of the church? It's a good chance there will be strife and not peace. It would lead to danger and not safety. Just as it might be a thrill to ride in the car with someone who drives 90 miles an hour and is all over the road, it might be fun for a moment, but it's not safe. It won't work out well in the long run. And so it is in the church. An elder must be temperate and must be sober-minded in leadership and in life. We're told that an elder must be of good behavior, which is to say that he's to be honorable and appropriate and virtuous. We're told that as an elder you must be hospitable, and there are numerous ways of doing that, and I'm blessed to know that you do do that, that you and Stephanie open your home and love on people and care for them. And... This means being intentional to reach out to both church members and to, and to church visitors and, and to love on people and to care for them. And likewise, you must be able to teach. I know that I myself have been blessed, brother, by sitting under your ministry of the word. And so as an overseer, continue on in that. Brother, you uh, have, a, have a great gift, and there are different ways of teaching, and you teach well in, in various formats. And as you come alongside of, of Jim and I to continue to, to serve in your, in your teaching, you're uh, in a position in which I myself once was when I served under our brother, Pastor Shane. And this is, a, this is a great vantage point from which to serve. It's a great vantage point also from which to learn. And so, brother, make, make the most of, of that position while, while you're there, as long as the Lord has you in that position. You're a great asset to the church. You're a great asset to me. The church needs teaching, and I need help in doing the work of teaching. 
And so, brother, as you become an elder and increase in the responsibility that you bear in the life of the church, just continue to lean on into the work as you've been doing already. And stay humble as well. As one who teaches, we must also remain teachable ourselves. You can learn a lot in this position in serving as an elder and in serving as an assistant pastor. And always bear in mind that in becoming one of the elders, we have to, we have to work as a team. And sometimes this will, will mean working through issues together so as to, as to gain consensus. Sometimes it will mean, even if we're not 100% on the same page, that we have to submit to, to other elders when a course of, of action is required, and we have, to, uh, we have to work together in this regard. And so, brother, continue to use your gifts to teach, use your gifts to lead, and at the same time, stay humble and teachable, and remember that, that we function together as a team. You're part of a team of under-shepherds that are ultimately serving under the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul goes on and, and lists out other things there in, in that list, the, that an elder must not be addicted to wine, that he's not to be violent, speaks to one being quarrelsome or belligerent and combative. An overseer must not be one who is, is greedy for money. A man who is greedy for money is, is caught up in idolatry, really, because instead of seeking the good of souls and the glory of Christ and using what one has for the good and benefit of others, instead a man who is greedy for money is concerned simply about using everything as a stepping stone to, to watch his own fortunes grow and watch his own star rise. A man whose heart is in such a place has no business being entrusted with the care of souls because in reality he does not care for souls. He cares for money. Ultimately, the greedy man does not even care for the Lord. And so Paul puts it rather starkly in Ephesians 5.5 5 when he says, For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. And then in that list in 1 Timothy 3, as Paul goes through, he's listed all of these things as to what uh, an elder ought not to be. He said not to be addicted to wine, not to be violent, not to be greedy, but then comes the contrast. He's to be gentle. It's not quarrelsome. And so Paul says in 2 Timothy 2, 24 and 25, that the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth. And then in that list there of 1 Timothy 3, Paul turns to the issue of how an overseer manages his household. How does this man take care of the responsibility that has already been entrusted to him as the leader of a family and the leader of a household? Just like the requirement of being the husband of one wife is not a requirement that an overseer be married, so likewise the, this charge here to take care of your family and your household is not a requirement that an overseer must have children, but the broad assumption is that overseers will be married men with children. And obviously, brother, this is the case for you. You've been blessed with a godly wife. You've been blessed with children. And so this means that in becoming an elder, you still have to care for your own family and care for them well. So take care of Stephanie. Nourish her both in body and soul. Take care of your children. I know that you love your wife. I know that you love your children. Obviously, you can't change your children's heart and cause them to be born again, but you're responsible to keep your children in submission and to do so in a dignified way and to seek to raise them up in the nurture 
and admonition of the Lord, continually sowing the seeds of the gospel in their hearts so that, God willing, those seeds will one day rise and bear fruit. In this regard, the home is the proving ground for the church. And as you watch your life, as we're commanded there in 1 Timothy 4, an extremely important part of watching your life is watching over the life of your family. If you don't take care of the children that God has given you and exercise your authority for good in their lives, then it'll be difficult for you to exercise authority for good in the life of the church. And so, brother, rule your household well. And this includes using time and money well. And much more important than material concerns, you need to make sure that you are leading and loving both your wife and your children well. And don't, don't allow your service as an elder to jeopardize your service to your household. You have to take care of your family still as an elder. Paul closes that list of requirements in 1 Timothy 3 with two other requirements, that he not be a new convert and that he have a good reputation with those outside. Brother, obviously you're not a new convert. You've been walking with the Lord for, for years now. And so continue on in that walk. And so, brother, as we ordain you tonight, take these words of First Timothy 3 as kind of an, expand, an expansion on what Paul says first there in First Timothy 4.16. He says, watch your life. If you want to get some uh, fleshing out of what that looks like, look back to First Timothy 3. This is, this is what it means to watch your life and the way that you must conduct yourself as an elder. And the way to watch your life is to watch your heart. We're reminded in Proverbs 4.23, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. Our sins ultimately start in the heart. The heart is the battleground on which Satan will attack you. And so, brother, keep your heart and watch your life. And secondly, Paul says, 1 Timothy 4.16, Take heed to your teaching. Pay attention to your teaching. As an elder, you'll be in an official position of authority and of teaching. And this requires utmost diligence on your part to maintain the purity of the gospel. And if you read through First and Second Timothy, you'll see this, this theme showing up all of the time where Paul is continually calling on Timothy to pay attention to his doctrine, pay attention to his teaching. You find it in places like 2 Timothy 1, 13 and 14, 2 Timothy 2, 15, 2 Timothy 4, 2. One of the passages that I would draw your attention to this evening is 1 Timothy 6, 20, where in those opening words of 1 Timothy 6.20, Paul says, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. This is, this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about guarding what has been entrusted to you. This reminds us that, that the Christian faith is not something that originates with us. The Christian faith is something that we received from outside of ourselves. It is given to us by the Holy Spirit working through human agency. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ and the Holy Spirit then uses that word that is communicated to us by human agency. The Holy Spirit uses it to save us. And the content of the Christian faith is something that is handed down from one generation to the next as the truths of Scripture are imbibed and believed and Christ is trusted from one generation to the next. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, 1 and 2, he says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Now I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep 
the traditions just as I delivered them to you. The way of life that is commanded by Christ and the teachings of Christ and the truth of the gospel are passed down from one generation to another as the gospel and the word of God is preached and taught and lived out in the life of the church, here in the household of God, which is the pillar and support of the truth. Timothy himself had learned the Holy Scriptures from his childhood. He had heard the preaching of the Apostle Paul. He had believed the gospel. He had received the Christian faith. And now Paul says to him, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. In other words, don't change it. Don't flip things around on their head. Don't get it mixed up. As one having pastoral oversight, he was to make sure that no one else was teaching false doctrine in the church either. He was to keep the gospel in its purity. He was to guard its integrity. O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you. Watch your life and your doctrine, your teaching, closely. Back in the 5th century, a Christian named Vincent of Laurens, and what we would know as France today, referred to 1 Timothy 6.20, O Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to you, He called it that saying of the apostle, wherewith as a spiritual sword, all the wicked novelties of all heresies often have been and always will be decapitated. Guard what has been entrusted to you. And Vincent went on and he said, what is the deposit? What is this thing that has been entrusted to you? He says, that which has been entrusted to thee, not which thou thyself hast devised, not a matter of wit, but of learning. Not a private adoption, but a public tradition, a matter brought to thee, not put forth by thee, wherein thou art bound to be not an author, but a keeper, not a teacher, but a disciple, not a leader, but a follower. Keep the deposit, that which has been entrusted to thee, let it continue in thy possession, let it be handed on by thee. Thou hast received gold, give gold in turn, do not substitute one thing for another. Do not for gold impudently substitute lead or brass. Give real gold, not counterfeit. That's the idea that Paul is conveying here, that the Christian faith did not begin with Timothy. It was something that he received. It was a deposit entrusted to him. So he's not free to just just tweak it and change it into anything that he wanted to make it. That's not the way this works. Rather, he was to continue believing and teaching that which had been entrusted to him on the basis of the word of God. He was to guard the gospel against any and all innovations. And this is something that's very important for us to grasp, that the Christian faith is a deposit, that it's passed on to us through through sermons and through the reading of Scripture and through hymns and so on. Ultimately, it is entrusted to us by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, as the Word of God is correctly expounded and taught. But the world and the flesh and the devil don't like this. They don't like the Christian faith. If possible, The world and the flesh and the devil would like to dissuade us from it completely. And one of the ways of dissuading us from the faith is to induce us to innovate upon it in such a way as to, step by step, bit by bit, lead us away from the truth of the gospel. And so Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, I am jealous for you with a godly jealousy, for I have betrothed you to one husband, that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. But I am fearful lest somehow, as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. For if he who comes preaches another Jesus, whom we have not preached, 
Or if you receive a different spirit which you have not received, or a different gospel which you have not accepted, you may well put up with it. Paul was concerned about the Corinthians, that they would receive some false teaching. He had betrothed them to one husband, he said, that he might present them as a chaste virgin to Christ, a pure bride for Christ. He's worried that they'll get things mixed up, mixed around, and listen to something false. And therefore, Paul says to, to Timothy here, guard what has been entrusted to you. Pay attention to your teaching, he says. We need to understand that there are all kinds of forces at work, both demonic and human, that are seeking to induce us to tamper with this deposit that we've received in the Scriptures. We're not allowed to do that. Said we have to guard what has been entrusted to us. And so, brother, as you become an elder and begin leading in the life of the church and as you continue on in your teaching, always come back to the Scripture. And I know, I know you do, brother, and let me just exhort you, keep, keep that up. Keep on going in that direction. Study to show yourself approved. The Holy Scriptures are given to us by the inspiration of God so that the man of God may be made complete for every good work teaching, reproving, correcting, and training in righteousness. So brother, watch your doctrine closely. And this brings us then to, to point number three, which is the end goal. Remember the end goal. And so having instructed Timothy in regard to his, his personal piety, and his public ministry, Paul concludes in verse 16 by saying, persevere in these things. For as you do, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And this is why all of these instructions for Timothy matter, right? This is why he's supposed to watch his life. This is why he's supposed to watch his teaching. He's to give attention to these things and continue doing so, so that he will ensure salvation both for himself and for those who hear him. And that's a rather striking phrase, isn't it? Persevere in these things, for as you do so, you will ensure salvation both for yourself and for those who hear you. And at first glance... That might sound a bit too strong, as if too much were ascribed to the work of men. But we know that God works by means, and just as God uses human means to, to share the gospel, to bring men and women to salvation in Christ in the first place, we know that he uses means to preserve believers steadfast in their faith. The fact that God alone is the one who saves does not take away from the fact that we need to evangelize, doesn't take away from the fact that we need to be sharing the gospel with people. He uses human agents in that. And so also, this does not take away from the fact, the, fa the, the fact that God is the one who saves does not take away from the fact that he uses human agents to preserve the faith of those who are saved. God alone saves, but he uses human diligence and watchfulness and faithfulness to accomplish his ends. Calvin put it well when he said, Our salvation is, therefore, the gift of God alone. Because from him alone it proceeds, and by his power alone it is performed. And therefore to him alone as the author it must be ascribed. But the ministry of men is not on that account excluded. Nor does all this interfere with the salutary tendency of that government on which, as Paul shows, the prosperity of the church depends. Moreover, this is altogether the work of God, because it is he who forms good pastors and guides them by his spirit and blesses their labor that it may not be ineffectual. It's God who saves, but he uses human instruments to accomplish his work, and therefore Timothy here is to realize the seriousness of the work in which he is engaged. He's to give attention to himself in terms of his personal life, 
in terms of his teaching, his public ministry of the word, and Paul says that as he perseveres in these things, he will save both himself and his hearers. In other words, these are the means that God uses to save people. A pastor's careful attention to a godly life, careful attention to faithful teaching. God uses these in the salvation of a pastor. He uses these things in our salvation. As we give heed to our own lives, if we're doing this as we ought, we're going to be continually seeing just how short we come. We're going to be recognizing that we continually have sin of which we need to repent. We need to be continually looking to Christ as the source of of godliness. We need to be continually pressing in to Christ. And as we give heed to our teaching, if we're doing this as we ought, we're going to be continuing to learn and grow in our knowledge of the Word of God and in the great things of God. We'll be learning more of God's sovereignty, God's holiness, God's plan of salvation, His grace and love expressed to us in the sending of His Son, the great work of the Holy Spirit in sanctifying us and preserving us until the day of Christ. If we pay close attention to these great truths with a heart that is alive in Christ and with a heart that's filled with the Holy Spirit, then you and I will be greatly helped on our way to glory as as we do these things, as we persevere in watching our life and our teaching. This is going to be a great help to us in our salvation. Doing good to the souls of others will do incalculable good to you, brother. And members of Andover Baptist Church, please notice what is implied in this statement about the church at large. If a minister's attention to his life and teaching ensures salvation for himself and his hearers, then what is implied about the hearers? This implies that his hearers must be paying attention to the teaching that they are hearing. They must be looking at the godly example that is set before them. In other words, this attendance upon sound teaching is a means by which God saves his people. If people are saved by God by means of careful attention that Timothy and other pastors give to their teaching, it is because they listen to that teaching. Timothy is a means of of, of God working to bring salvation to people Part of what is implied is that the people are listening, that they're taking it to heart and submitting themselves to it all by the grace of the Holy Spirit that is at work in their hearts. And so this means that when the church gathers together on the Lord's Day under the faithful preaching and teaching of the Word of God, that there is something that is serious and of eternal value that is taking place here. And submission to the faithful teaching of the Word of God is the means by which people are saved. This is the way that God works to bring salvation to his people. And so if we care about our souls, we must not neglect sitting under the ministry of God's word. What we must do is to to pay attention to the word that is preached and to the example that is set by those who follow after Christ. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11.1, Imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. Likewise, Hebrews 13.7, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. To borrow the words of Protestant reformer Martin Bucer, he said, This is why Christians are first of all to ask the Lord with great earnestness to grant them faithful ministers and to watch diligently in choosing them 
to see that they walk in accordance with their calling and serve faithfully. And when these ministers come to warn, punish, teach, or exhort in the Lord's name, not to dismiss it thoughtlessly, and despise this ministry. You've heard that old saying that you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make him drink. All the ministers in all the world might be doing their part, watching their life and doctrine, but if you don't show up and don't listen to the truth that is being spoken, if you don't pay attention to the godly patterns and examples that are set, then the means of grace that God provides in such a way is not a means of grace to you. You miss the large benefits of having godly and faithful elders if you don't show up or if you don't listen, if you don't pay attention. The point is, don't neglect the teaching of the Word of God in the context of the local church because the Lord uses this means and uses it powerfully to save sinners. And how so? It's because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of Christ. This is how the Lord creates faith in our hearts in the first place. And so we read in James 1.18, Of His will He brought us forth by the Word of truth that we might be a kind of firstfruits among His creatures. And likewise, 1 Peter 1.23 having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. This is how God saves people. Christ is proclaimed by means of the word of God. Christ is proclaimed on the basis of the authority of Scripture. And that's how Christ continues to build his church. It's by the proclamation of the word. Your faith is edified and built up as you continue listening. So brothers and sisters of Andover, please keep on listening. Proverbs 19.27 warns us, cease listening to instruction, my son, and you will stray from the words of knowledge. And that's what happens. If we stop listening to faithful instruction, if we stop listening to the word of God faithfully taught and faithfully applied, we'll stray from words of knowledge. We might not think that we're drifting, but we'll start drifting, we'll start straying from words of knowledge if we cease listening to faithful instruction. And so if Timothy ensures the salvation of others by watching his life and his teaching and persevering in these things, then, brother, we guard our own salvation by watching our life and our teaching. And the church at large guards its salvation by continuing to listen and carefully weighing what they hear in the teaching. And so, church, keep listening to the word of God. And as we ordain an elder today, let's be looking to his example as he follows the example of Christ. Let's listen to his teaching as long as it is in accordance with the word of God. Brother Jamie, as for you, watch your life and your doctrine closely. Continue in these things for the glory of Christ, for the good of your soul, and for the good of the souls here that are entrusted to your care. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to ordain Jamie as an elder. We thank you for the great blessing that he's been in the life of our church. Lord, I pray for, for Jamie, for myself, and for Jim. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us, that we would watch our lives and our doctrine closely. Lord, I ask your mercy for where I, where we have, have sinned and failed Lord, I pray that you would be merciful to us, that you would help us, strengthen us, Lord, that we would be faithful under shepherds of Jesus Christ. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.